Hi, and welcome to the Renovate podcast. Renovate is a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas for young adults. This week, Ryan McCarthy, one of our soul care pastors, is speaking to us on the gospel as an antidote to the need to please. We hope it's a blessing to you. It's good to see you guys. I can't see you very well because there's lights this way, but um, my name is Ryan McCarthy. Ben mentioned that earlier. I'm just saying this by habit, but um, I want to start off by just sharing three quick stories. They on the surface sound unrelated, but I want you to be listening for the fact that they are related. These three stories have something in common, okay? So I'll just dive right in. When I was in sixth grade, which was 10 years ago, um, when I was, yeah, not good. When I was in sixth grade, I had the privilege of being in the presence of social royalty. I was with Mike Funk, who was in seventh grade, Jeremy Plague, and Brandon Kelso. Jeremy and Brandon and I were all sixth graders. And they were all cooler, all right? And I was just happy to be with them. And we were hanging out in Mike Funk's house in, in his kitchen. He didn't have a house, it was his parents. But, um, we were all hey, in the kitchen, and they were all talking about fooling around with girls and stuff that they'd done, conquests, and I had nothing for the conversation. I was in sixth grade, and so were they, but they had a lot to say, and I was just trying to find a way into this conversation, and eventually I said something, I don't remember what, and Mike immediately shot me down and said, Ryan, you won't get a girl in the bed till you're 30. And immediately my, my life mission was determined get a girl in the bed as soon as humanly possible, right? Thank God God didn't bless me in that department. But, so when I was 31, I'm, I'm not kidding. No, I'm just joking. Um, okay, that's one story. 15-ish years later, <laughs> cut that part out. Um, 15-ish years later, I, I'm not really thinking through the math on this, I, I started working here at Christ Chapel. God called me into ministry, and I generally knew what I wanted to do. I was working at the high school, I was a high school intern, and I'd been asked to preach a couple times, and I was all nervous, I prepared, and, and it went really well, lots of pats on the back, and, and I felt encouraged, and I got asked to do it again, and uh, it just seemed like the Spirit was doing something, and Three or four talks go by, and I started to kind of believe, like, when I speak, you know, gold comes out. (laughs) I wouldn't have said that, all right? I just was kind of feeling good about myself. And I remember my boss asked me to speak on a few Sundays coming up, and the topic was something I was, like, already near and dear to my heart. So I didn't really need to prepare that much. Well, I remember taking a trip to Kansas City that weekend before I drove back late Saturday night, just kind of sleep-deprived on Sunday morning. And keep in mind, I want to go into ministry, all right? This is my career path, not just a, it was a calling, but it was my career path as well. And so I'm standing here preaching to a packed room of high school students. It was like almost 200. And as I'm preaching, I'm realizing I'm not prepared, you know, and I don't really know where I'm going. And then I noticed a few rows back, one of my boss's boss's daughter, daughters was doing this just nodding off. And, and, and I immediately thought to myself, she's going to tell her dad how boring I was. And then I heard a voice say, you have no idea what you're talking about. 
And then my knees started to get really weak, and I looked at my notes, and they were just black and white dots, and I proceeded to have a panic attack where I'm hyperventilating, on, sitting on the floor in front of all the students, and I was mortified. Okay, let's fast forward to present day. This has happened, I'm not even pulling a specific incident, but this has happened. I'm home with the kids, with Brandy, it's the weekend, I should be present as a dad, but I'm playing a game on my phone, all right? I'm just passing the time. Brandy walks in, and she's, what are you doing? Oh, checking my email. Okay, so I lie about what I'm doing. What do you think these stories have in common? In all of them, I was enslaved to what the scriptures call the fear of man. In every one of these, I was living before the eyes of man, not before the eyes of God. Another way to say it is, is people-pleasing or the need to please people. We're, we're, we're continuing the, the gospel's antidote to, uh, to, to something. And this is the gospel's antidote to the need to please. And sorry to pull a cur- curveball on you, Jeffrey. But um, that's the, the gospel's uh, antidote to the need to please. And so I have two definitions. There you go. Yeah. And then you got that, right? Um, so the fear of man and, and people-pleasing are, are two sides of the same coin. The fear of man is regarding the evaluation of people over the evaluation of God. You know, living before uh, the, an, an audience of people that you see, but as far as living before God, he's... he's uh, well, there's a book by um, Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God Is Small. That says it really well. So... Uh, this flip side of that, if you don't even think of it as a fear, it's just the need to, uh, the intent to satisfy the desires of the people around you, and I need their approval. I mean, there are two sides of the same coin, whether it's a, a, a lust for something, a desire for something, or a fear of something, they're both essentially the same thing. And so what I want to do, I, there's, there's one passage I just want to camp out on, it's Proverbs 29, 25, and it says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. What is that? What, a, that's not a type of drum, Richard. Um, that wasn't written. Um, a, a snare, obviously, is a trap, right? It's, it's something that, and I think of a snare, it's like, oh, that hurt, you step in a trap, that's going to hurt. But when I looked up the definition of this, it said it's a trap that catches you unawares, which you know is a theological thing when you say unawares. It's a trap that catches you, and you're not even aware of it. But, is it, it, but when, when you ensnare something, the ultimate intent is to destroy it, to consume it. So the fear of man traps you and consumes you, and you don't even know it. But then on the other hand, to trust in the Lord, and I would say by contrast, the fear of the Lord, whoever fears the Lord is safe. So this is a sweeping theme in the Bible. I could go to a number of passages. This, for me, just keeps it simple, just Proverbs 29, 29, 25. But there there are passages like Numbers 13 and 14, for example, where God has just led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he's done these amazing things. There's no doubt God is at work. And then they send some spies into the promised land to say, let's go, God says, Go take the land. Well, let's, send, let's get a sense of what's in there. And when they come back, they say, the land is great, but there's no way we can go in there because they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers to them. Living before man 
as if God's not even in the picture. Um, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they, the church is brand new, and they have a desire to impress people, so they lie about how much they give, and it turns out they're lying to the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't go well for them. Uh, this is, that's living before the evaluation of people, the need to get their approval. I don't need God's approval. I want your approval. Uh, a classic one, Peter denying Jesus three times, you know, because he's afraid of a, a little slave girl and what she might say. It, it, that is a classic picture of the fear of man. It's a sweeping theme in the Bible. And I would say it's a dominant theme in our lives, whether we know it or not. And it's something that we need to know where to go with that. It's rarely addressed from the pulpit too. So that's what I want to do. I want to try to, I want us to recognize where it is that we personally wrestle with this, whether it's a big deal. And then uh, also understand why it's a snare and what do you do with it? How do you get unsnared? So where are you ensnared by the fear of man? Now, I've got a list of questions. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to read it all, but I might. And as I read these, I want you to answer these questions silently in your heart, trying to be honest with yourself, and understand that not, not all of these things, when you say yes to it, is it, oh, run for the hills, you know, like, uh, take cover. Some of these things don't seem like a big deal. But the thing is, it's a subtle snare. Unaddressed, it will slowly consume you. This, wherever you're saying yes to these things, you are ensnared and it's taken you a direction. Okay, some of you know already I struggle with the fear of man. Some of you think, kind of almost take pride in the fact that you don't, which is a form of fearing man. It's just you've replaced the fear of others with your own evaluation of yourself. So let me ask some of these questions and may the Lord convict you. Do you feel the need to promote yourself? You know, name dropping, uh, sharing accomplishments. All right. Do you need to be the center of attention? These are kind of obvious. But uh, a flip side of that, do you fear social rejection? Is some kind of social rejection among your most painful childhood memories? You know, I used to, when I was a little kid, we, got, we had tough skin jeans. I think they were the Sears brand. And I remember Chris Smith made fun of my jeans. And it was like, never again. So I moved to Jordash. Um, I'm kidding. I, I've dated myself. Nobody probably knows Jordash, right? <laughs> oh, boy. OK, so if you, you say, like, never again. I'm 45, all right? So never again. I'm never going to be, uh, you know, like, whatever, because of that past social rejection. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to get a the Mike Funk thing that I shared, that's, that was a feeling of social rejection that sort of defined me. This doesn't still. <laughs> Maybe it's still a fear. Uh, if you've been ever asked to like, do public speaking, some of you would rather be, uh, die than have to stand up in front of people and, and talk. Or how about this one? This is just every day. When someone tells a joke, and it's one of those longer jokes, are you, do you sit there and think, oh, am I not going to get it? And I'm going to be the one person everybody else laughs, and I'm going to have to pretend to laugh. Anybody? That's a subtle form of it. Or if you're telling a joke, do you, I don't tell jokes because I'm afraid I'm going to forget where I'm going with it, you know? I'm this by this rate. I'll be, we'll be done tomorrow. Okay, this is why I can't dance. I'll be singing in the car until someone pulls up next to me. How about peer pressure? 
that's just a you like growing up was peer pressure a theme did you do stupid things for acceptance and peer pressure is simply a euphemism for the fear of man and we don't grow out of it we just get more sophisticated but that's one when you're around really important people do you have a hard time disagreeing or saying no or speaking your mind do you second guess you know like really test the waters with what you're about to say you might feel that at work um yeah have you ever said yes to a date even though you weren't interested silence <laughs> have you compromised standards to keep someone's affection have you uh, been afraid of being single the rest of your life have you asked someone out simply because you were afraid of being single but really not interested um that's that's the form of the fear of man because to fear is to live in awe of something i need i need something and i need someone attached for definition again it's the evaluation of man it's needing something from man and god in a sense in that area there's a practical atheism that sets in i don't really god's not really involved in that particular area i need someone tangible okay now there's a place for that desire i'm not saying well, no desire it's just what is that how does that play itself out uh, does the thought of failure mortify you i that this one hits me why why are we afraid of failure is I, this is why i am because people will see me evaluate me and just de declare i think to themselves he's a loser he's not a winner um or i'm not pacing with everybody else that's a that's a big one um related so what drives you if you're a perfectionist what what are you working for often it's the approval of it could be anybody at work do you fear of being found out or ex exposed as an imposter that's one that oh, i can talk about these all day i fear of man's a big theme in my life all right the reason i lie when i do is because i don't want people to disapprove of me or i don't want them to think you know i I've, i will i've done that where hey someone hands me an article you got to check this out and i pass them by a couple sundays later did you read that article i gave you yeah well i started it you know i, I had no intent okay that's the kind of fear man lie that might come out okay and i'll speed up are you constantly overcommitted? committed the, the, you know, i can't say no uh, why do you exercise exercise is good but is it again for i need an approval uh, to be seen and, and evaluated why i i exercise now just to stay alive but um <laughs> i go to i when i go to the gym i have to like do body pump and here's the reason i have to be in a class because i cannot work out hard on my own i need to be in a room where if i quit everybody sees me quit I, I need the fear of man to motivate me to work out. <laughs> Is there a difference between your public or pri and private self? Who's not convicted by that? All right. I mean, are there things that you will do in private that you wouldn't do in public? Now, there's in a place that was obviously appropriate, you know, <laughs> things. <laughs> but I'll give you a simple example, you know, and you can easily talk about, you know, all sorts of embarrassing things but like how about just this one uh you're playing solitaire or whatever game like the old people do that <laughs> like me but i was i once i was playing spider solitaire all right so i'm a little younger but i 
And then I heard footsteps, and this is at the office, you know, and I immediately closed the window. Who am I living before? God has nothing to do with that. It's, it's living before man. I, I'm studying through Ephesians right now, and my verse this morning was this, Ephesians 6, 5, and 6. He says, obey, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, living before man. Okay, and then a couple more. Uh, maybe you pride yourself on being someone who doesn't care what other people think, but do you, is that replaced with I care what God thinks? Or is it I care what I think? In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, I don't care how you judge me. In fact, I don't care how I judge myself. It's Christ who judges me. Uh, and then last one, evangelism. Do you have a hard time sharing the gospel with, with people for fear of what they're going to think of you? I hope there's nobody not convicted on some level by those questions. And I, I know, I recognize that some of these things, by the way, I had two more I added. Feel, do you feel like you can't be yourself around certain people? And do you feel like you ever have to avoid certain people? All over the place in our lives. I think more of a default setting in, in, in many of our lives, I'll speak for myself, is to live according to the fear of man as a people pleaser. As, and, and it's one of those things that, okay, this is so sweeping. Uh, is it really a big deal? I mean, on some of these things, it's just a little thing, like closing down the, the spider solitaire game. Is that, is that a big deal? Why is the fear of man a snare? Here's a few reasons. Okay, for one, it's foolish. It, there's a foolishness to it. I love this verse, Isaiah 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 22. says, stop regarding, this is God speaking, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? That's just a cool verse. Stop regarding man of, in whose nostrils is breath. Why are, you, why are you afraid of these people who breathe? <laughs> of what account is he? You know? And the answer is no account. Because man's approval is bankrupt. People can't really reward you and they can't really punish you. And I know that you can push back on that. But who's really in charge? Can people fulfill the deep longings of your heart? Can people do, I mean, I know that people can bring great reasons for fear. And there are good reasons to fear man, okay? I'm not saying they're not. But when God is big, what man can do becomes very small. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If we see who's really in charge, we should fear, but that fear should go a different direction. And it's not a trembling, but it's an, an awe. It's a worshipful, I have things in perspective because I see God. But we often serve people as if our fate was in their hands. And I think of ourselves when we're operating in the fear of man. It's foolish because it's like a politician who's busy winning votes from people who aren't even in his district. People can't 
ultimately, they have no say ultimately in where you land and in your contentment. So life suddenly becomes this court case living before the jury of man and you aren't even in court. <clears throat> God alone can reward or judge. I'm gonna read something that is, this could ruin your day. All right, it's Richard Baxter as an old Puritan, and he, I, I came across this, but this is devastating, and it's, but it's good. It's a good reminder. He said, judgment belongs to God alone. If he were to condemn to hell, all the applause of the world will not be able to fetch a single man out, nor grant him a single second of relief. Think about that. That's, that's heavy. A single second, I mean, there's a bankruptcy to the ability that, uh, he went on to say, their happiness will be to, I'm sorry, this is so heavy, but their happiness will be to lie in hell and remember that they were well spoken of on earth. Okay, but that, I, I share that because it puts it in perspective. There is a bankruptcy to man's approval and disapproval when in compared to God's. Why regard man in whose nostrils is breath? What account is he? Here's a, some, like, bringing it up a level that's not so heavy, though, is that people can't be pleased. If you live to please people, you can't, you'll find that, one, you can't please everyone. You're always going to be, you'll be pleasing these people, and then they're going to be upset with you. And then you'll move over, and you're, you'll be, and get, get married and get a family, and you'll really feel that. The tension between work and home and and. and you find yourself just kind of chasing your tail, trying to please people, and all the while, I'm supposed to be pleasing somebody else who knows how to manage my life. Um, people make lousy saviors, I'll just say it that way. It causes you to make decisions you wouldn't normally make. That's another reason it's foolish. Many of us got into some really bad habits because we were trying to impress somebody in high school. Maybe you lost your virginity for that reason. Maybe you got into, you, again, you maybe said yes to a date that you shouldn't, whatever. We, we might pick unsatisfying careers because people perceive this to be what I should be doing. You could comply with an unethical request from your boss. Or you may stay silent when you should speak up. Those are all decisions we make because of the fear of man. And the last I'll say to this point is it's unloving, ultimately. It's a form of loving yourself through the approval of people when what our duty is not to be loved by people, but to love people. So we're not, I'm not saying that godly people don't care what other people think of them. It's this, you care what other people think because you love them and you want to bless them and influence them for Christ. There's a difference. We should care what other people think because I want to bless you and be an influence for Christ. Otherwise, it's a form of using you. If I cater to what you want from me, then you, please, then you will please with me and we have a good codependency thing happening. Okay, these next are, are, are a little shorter. The fear of man is enslaving. John 8, 34, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. When you seek the approval of man, a disturbed life of busyness and frustration starts to take place. There's you, 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 yeah, a difficult time saying no. It could take the form of social anxiety or overcommitment. And I'll just say in short, it's addictive because the pleasure of man or approval is never enough and you'll always be needing more. Another way to say it, 
And Ben, tell me if you've ever felt this, or Josh, any of you guys. Everybody can like you, but one person. And that one person, there's a highlighter on that, right? Do you all relate? I mean, I feel like a general, in general, people approve of me. But I know those one or two people who don't. And, they, and it's, there's an addictiveness to that. Because then I'm just, I just move all my business to that if I'm in an unhealthy place. Okay. Ultimately, it's, it's deadly. Like I mentioned at the beginning, it lays a snare. Uh, here's the, where I want to land, though. It's a snare because it's idolatry. Galatians 1.10, and I'm sorry, there, there are so many verses here, but he says, am I, now speak, am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am, I, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We're supposed to live for and serve one person, and that's God. But in a very literal way, people pleasing is saying this, God, I don't choose you, I choose them. I don't, I'm not gonna live for what you are saying and what you think. I really, I'm gonna be committed in my daily life to what all these other people think. And it's just idolatry because underneath the surface struggles that like you said yes to and all those questions, there's, there's a deeper desire beyond simply the approval of man. Nobody really wants the approval of man just for the sake of their approval. It's what is it in that approval that we're looking for? Uh, like, I, we, for example, um, think for me, I want through approval to deeply get the sense, Ryan, you're worthy. You, you are not a mistake. I created that. I, I deeply want to hear this well done, good and faithful servant. And there's something cosmic, cos, cosmically fulfilling about that. It's just that uh, it's a desire that's put there by God, that desire to hear well done, good and faithful servant. But God alone is the only one who can satisfy that. And yet I seek that in other people. Instead of looking to God, I'm looking to my wife, her respect, you know, her thinking I'm, her admiration, my boss, my coworkers, and to a lesser degree, you guys. It's, it's one of those things that we're looking, we all struggle with it. There's a deeper desire behind the approval of man and the fear of rejection and um, it's really, it's, it's a form of idolatry underneath it all. And I'm, I'm, I'm camping out on this because if you were to take a fear of man issue to friends and say, hey man, I'm struggling with this. I'm really controlled by, uh, I can't stop thinking about that criticism that I got or I'm afraid to speak up at work. And let's say you go to a therapist. You know what the therapist is usually gonna say? It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what I say, you know? He's not gonna say that explicitly, but he's gonna replace your fear of man with a different source of long somebody else's approval. Or it doesn't matter what they think, it matters what you think. And they're just gonna shift that fear around. But the truth is, this is not a horizontal problem, it's a vertical one. The fear of man is, when you discover that this is a vertical worship problem, suddenly there's hope. Because if this were a horizontal problem, how do you get out of that? How do you address that? We all have it. 
And it's always going to be there. And you, 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 you might graduate from this form of fear and then just move on to the next. But when you see that it's a vertical worship issue, the, you suddenly have a way to address it. So how do we get unsnared from the fear of man? Well, I've got a few steps. One, recognize what it is that you're worshiping. Okay, if you discover, I'm struggling with this your fear reveals what you worship. Picture anything that I'm talking about in terms of worship. For example, if you find that you can't be yourself around certain people, this is a stretch, obviously, but picture yourself bowing down before those people saying, I need your approval. I mean, like, this is, your approval will do it for me. I want it so badly, I can't even be myself. You know, if you desperately want a relationship, you're probably going to have a hard time being yourself around potential prospects, right? Um, if you, for example, I've got another one, when you find yourself fighting to be recognized at work, you know, you're internally anxious, picture yourself down on your, on your knees saying, job, please define me. Job, please give me ultimate security whatever it is. And it's going to be different. We could all, we, we might have the same struggle on the surface and a different form of idolatry underneath, but there's always, God is far out there and really what's, what I'm living before is right here. So recognize what it is that you're worshiping. Number two, repent by confessing that and giving that to God. Repent, repent by confessing it and giving it to God. So when you look at what it is that you're worshiping, instead of just saying, God, I'm sorry for, uh, I'm sorry for lying about uh, playing a game on my phone. All right? That's, that's a good thing to confess. And I'm doing this right now spontaneously. I'm, I should be saying, God, I'm sorry that it is more important to me to save face with my wife than to be honest and obey you because I want to please you with honesty, right? I've now made my wife's saving face with my wife more important than obeying you. Do you realize that's freeing? I feel freedom in saying that right now, even though, honestly, that hasn't happened recently. But that has, that's kind of me. That's the kind of person that I am. And so when I say that, it's like, why, why would that be freeing? to confess the ugly, idolatrous heart underneath this, this struggle. The reason it's freeing is we get to confess it to a God who's already forgiven us. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. Which is an amazing verse. With you, God, you forgive. And you, you, I would think it would say, therefore you are to be praised. He says, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you, therefore you are to be feared. That almost doesn't make sense. Um, but I think fear and trust are really closely related. Whatever you fear, you, in a sense, you trust in that thing as well. And, and he's saying that you get to come before the Lord and confess the things you're most afraid of exposing to other people Take it to the one you should be most afraid to confess it to, and then whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, 
but the, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So third, after repenting and confessing and giving it to God, redirect yourself toward the fear of the Lord. Meaning simply seek him in his word, in, through prayer, through worship. But that title, that book, when people are big and God is small, God needs to become huge in my life again. I mean, the fact that if I'm fearing man, living before the, the eyes of man, means that I, God is becoming smaller and smaller in my view, and people have become very big, and I need to start seeking him because when God is big in my sight, people become small. Meaning, if I know deep down God approves of me, and he loves me, and he cares for me, I can handle some rejection. It's very simple. I can handle rejection when I know God approves me. When I forget that God approves me in Christ, rejection becomes kind of devastating because that criticism undermines my whole project of being worthy. You know? <clears throat> so get your eyes off self, and you could say, you come to a good God, you, could, you get to say, while you're powerful and good, you also know, Lord, you've got me. I'm your child. You love me. I'm safe. And then it can lead to the safe approach that you can reapproach your view of the very people you used to fear. When God becomes big and you're worshiping him and you feel safe in him, you don't write off those people that you used to fear. Instead, you reapproach them. Yes, God, how do you view this person? Let's say there's a person who makes your life kind of miserable because they, they're never pleased with you. They always, you know, they, they just seem to have it out for you for whatever reason. And then you, you find yourself loving the Lord and being comforted by him. Do you just say, well, forget that person? No, you ask God, God, how do you view this person who's made my life so difficult? Well, there are three categories of people. They're either enemies, neighbors, or family. Friends, family, you know, you got your family in Christ. But in all those categories, we're called to love them. Love your enemies, love your neighbor, and love your brothers, your sisters in Christ. So if this person's an enemy, what do you do with that? Well, you recognize that they ultimately don't have power to define me. They don't have the power that I used to give them, and now God calls me to uh, have compassion on that person rather than being in, driven by the self-interest of, will you finally approve of me? So learn to love other people rather than need them. This is all, I, uh, this is not your simple, oh, just do this, do this, you'll be fine. It's recognizing there's an issue in my life and it points to a worship problem and I get to come to a good God who loves me, who already knows it, I get to confess it, and then begin to experience the joy and freedom of the fear of the Lord, of trusting in the Lord. And I just wrote down a, a couple examples of what growth in this area looks like. Um, a couple months ago, Brandy and I got in a really big argument. And um, my wife is awesome. She's given me a blank check to share any story. She doesn't mind. So she, if you ever meet her, she's great. Um, and that's not like lip service. Um, we got in this argument, and she was mad at me, and I just remember it was just BS, in my opinion. I was like, are you kidding me? And, and, and I felt this resentment, and it was in the very area where I feel like I've grown so much, 
And I felt like she was just throwing me short, you know, like, or selling me short or throwing me under the bus, whatever phrase you, you kids use. <laughs> um, and it, it was an argument that, that I would not, um, in my pre-settling the argument language, I wasn't going to bow down to her interpretation. I was like, this is crap, you know? And, and so we're fighting, and it goes, you know, through the night. We couldn't settle it. We let the sun go down on our anger. Um, next morning, I get up. I'm an early morning person, and I go, and I'm trying to have my quiet time. I'm too angry to do it. And I start journaling, and I'm kind of continuing the argument, journaling on my computer with God. I talk to God on my computer. So the turn, this was the turning point. God, I know that this is what she's saying is wrong, but I know that there's something I probably need to hear. Lord, what do, you need, what do you need me to hear through my wife? What do I need to hear from you through my wife? What was my problem? I had enthroned Brandy on the judgment seat of my life. I took her interpretation to be the gospel standard, and if she was going to not be, give, be completely fair and gracious toward me, then all hell will break loose because I had made her very big in my life. And I had to dethrone her, and I wrestled and wrestled. And in a breakthrough, God, I need to hear from you. And you might be at work, maybe in her. Maybe there's something else going on. Other than, and asking that question, I begin to talk to God and ask for him to speak to me. And I've gotten experience this so many times, honestly. This is like, to me, it's a marriage saver. It's um, of learning to get your eyes off of people and onto God. It's so many solutions. Um, I was able to go home and listen, stop defending myself, and own, and have compassion for the fact she was hurting. Truth is, maybe she had some things wrong, but I wasn't loving her well. Let's say you've got a sin struggle that dominates you, and you're afraid of it being known. You know, maybe an eating struggle, and you wear baggy clothes to hide, you think you're successfully hiding it. Or you've got a, a struggle with porn and you don't want anybody to know. Okay, fear of man will keep that silent. Hide that. But growth, come into a trusted Christian friend saying, hey, I, I think I've got, I'm, I got a problem here. You know, you've just dethroned the judgment of man to say, I, I need to be real. What does it look like in your life? My prayer is that you don't feel just convicted by it, but I pray that you get the hopeful sense that there's a good God behind this quiet, ominous problem in our life. Let me pray and ask God to apply it to our hearts. Father, thank you for um, the fact that we get to address heavy topics, uh, heavy realities, and then know that behind... um, what may be scary or convicting, behind that is a God who shows us not just how serious our sin can be, but how good, loving, and gracious you are. That though our sin lays a snare, Jesus came in and stepped into that snare willingly and took the penalty, experienced the, the, payment, the, the punishment. He, he paid for my sin. He paid for our sin so that we could be free of the things that we still are sometimes voluntarily tripped up in. 
would you allow us to confess to one that we know is good and who loves us and who forgives us, allow us to confess so we could experience the freedom and joy of fearing you and loving people. I ask that you do this amazing work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So where are you driven by the need to please others? Whose potential applause or approval gets you out of bed? Or another way to say it, whose potential rejection keeps you up at night? Your answers to those questions points to what you worship. The fear of man is something we all struggle with, and you can take comfort in that because you're not alone, but it still leads to slavery. It always does. Fear of man will hollow you out. It'll turn you into a shell of a person. And the reason is, is people can't define us. They can't fulfill us. They can't save us. So I want to encourage you to dwell on Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I want to encourage you to confess your need to please others to the only one we should want to please. And praise God that we get to come to a Savior who forgives, who gives endless grace and mercy to people like you and me, to sinners. I pray that you experience freedom from the fear of man as you learn to trust in the Lord this week. If you're in Texas and you live near Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you in person. Renovate meets on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and you can come early for free dinner. Just show up 45 minutes early and hang out with us. If you want more updates from Renovate, join us online at renovateftw.org or follow us on social media at renovateftw. Take care.